right, y'all, we are back in the studio. This is Eli alongside Dr. Katrina, y'all. Peace and blessings. And today we are honored to have our first guest host with us. Um, today we're going to talk about love and all the things, all the things. So this is going to be an intersectionality episode. And we are joined here today with our first guest host, like I said, LB, Lala, if you're nasty. Uh, we'll we'll figure out how nasty I am. And if I could get to call you Lala, we'll see. You, you let me know, okay? <laughs> LB, I will, I will. <laughs> LB is a queer creative, a clinical social worker by day and a twirling fabulous drag queen by night. Charismatic and loquacious, LB fancies himself an opinionated entertainer, a goofball at heart. LB just wants to kiki and have a good time. Well, LB, you are on the right podcast, Indeed. love, because that is what we are about here. That's what's up. Yeah, I just want to kiki and have a good time. Can we just laugh? It's good for the soul. Yes. <laughs> that is like a good 70% of what I do here, I feel like. This <laughs> is laugh. Could be my own joke. Could be somebody else's. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so typically we start with tea time. And for today's tea time, I'd like to talk about how LB and I met. LB, you want to you wanna take the first swing at this? Sure. Um, I, this Okay, you were mentioning, I think it was around, it was definitely Pride Weekend that we met, but I, I, I don't think that it was actually at the beach, Denny Blaine. I believe it was actually, um, was it Taking Black Pride? It, it was Taking was. Black Pride. You are right. Yes. That was it. I met you when you were twerking. You were wearing this little pair of pum <laughs> uh, pum shorts. Uh, <laughs> my poo poo. Yeah, yes. and you were you were doing the splits and twerking. I was like, what? <laughs> my Daisy Duke. My yes. little Daisy yes. Duke. Yes. Um, Quite the Jimmy first Hendrix impression. Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Jimi Hendrix Park. Um, my best friend. Um, literal best friend since eighth grade. Um, I visited Seattle uh, with them, and uh, we ended up at that Taking Black Pride. Oh, my gosh. I think that was also, wasn't it, like, the the heat wave, the summer heat wave? Yep. Where, you know, it was 100-something degrees. It sure was. And um, I was actually helping them, supposed to be helping them move <laughs> um, in this weather. And, we're, you know, we're both Who originally moves from Pride Texas. weekend? That's just rude. Goodness. Rude. It was, it was homophobic <laughs> is what it was. It was, it was homophobic. <laughs> but yeah we met there and um just a, a crew of lovelies you know the seattle just a, a taste of the seattle queer scene mm-hmm. and then um that sunday we had our one-on-one talk long talk um at the denny blaine which uh, for those who don't know denny blaine is like a queer nude beach in seattle i don't know if i would call it queer no, it, it's definitely it's a, a nude beach. Yeah, yeah. Nude beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Actually, clear. actually, I think that day I might have had to chase somebody away, like this this old straight dude that was taking pictures of folks. Oh, and no. I I chased him off out of the beach that that same day. Actually, right. come to think of it, they be staring yeah. too. I yeah, I'm like, mm. yeah. I get it. People are naked. But <laughs> right, right. Clothing, clothing optional for Jesus. those for, for those that were nude scares you. Clothing optional. Yes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> anyway, so 
So to 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 expand on that story a little bit, the connection was is that his best friend was or is really good friends with Queen B, my ex. So we were that that's kind of what brought us all together. Mm-hmm. And then that that same weekend, so I, I I peeped this from jump, by the way. So so when your homegirl, let's just call her Kiki, when Kiki told me like, oh, I think um, I think I might have a, a crush on your girlfriend. I was like, yeah, um, <laughs> you guys disappeared for like an hour at the nude beach and I find them just standing in the water, <laughs> just like a nose, you know, nose length apart from each other, like oh, wow. staring into each other's eyes, having Damn. this intense conversation. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to hang out here and talk to LB because right. <laughs> uh, like she's, busy. <laughs> she's busy right now. <laughs> she's otherwise engaged. Yeah. Anyway. So that that was that was sort of the backdrop for everything, you know. They, mm-hmm. It's like my my partner had just gone off and was, you know, exploring her own thing, and his, you know, their girl, their homegirl was just off doing, you know, their own thing with, you know. So so we were just there, left on a blanket, you know, with some drinks and a couple <laughs> joints, and you know, and during the course of that lovely afternoon i mean it was like perfect the weather was perfect the the eagles were soaring overhead mm-hmm. um mount rainier was out i mean mount it was rainier just was a magical magical day right i mean i, I it could have been the afterlife really i mean i could have <laughs> passed away that prior night and woken up into <laughs> that and you know it would have been fine <laughs> wow, sounds like I need to hang out with LB too. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> it was flattering everything. Flattering it was everything. I would also, I'm curious to know though too. So we we you know we met at the Denny Blaine yeah. Seattle's nude beach, um, and then we had an experience here in yes. Portland yes. Um, at our nude beach, and I was taken aback by being at Denny Blaine because you roll up, <laughs> it's just a loop, and naked people right there, Whereas right off here, the street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right off the street. Here we have a place called uh Rooster Rock. And um we have a place called Rooster Rock and it it's a hike. It's a journey. You got to park and then you got to go uh get to where you need to go to. So I'm curious what you thought. Ooh, well. <laughs> I mean, it was a journey. I wasn't expecting that. Um <laughs> but once we got in there like a good i don't know it was like a 20 minute hike in mm-hmm. right once we got there it was beautiful it was and it was huge I yes mean, it's a it's so serene it's literally the uh Brewster rock is basically the gorge right it's yeah. the columbia river and you literally and we and we like to go to this part where we call you know gay beach but it's a little island literally kind of in between you know, the Oregon side and the Washington side. Mm. And uh, it's, it's breathtaking, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a cove, you know, kind of a cove, in, if you will. It's definitely secluded. It's definitely mm-hmm. secluded. secluded. Yeah, we yeah. had a good time. We had a good time. You introduced me to all your friends. There was some, some drama that unfolded. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I just want to kiki and have a good time. Yes. That's all that it is. <laughs> so... So let's let's talk about some of those things that we talked about that weekend. We talked about we talked about race, we talked about queerness, masculinity, and then dating 
as the intersection of all of those things. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Dr. Katrina, you, you were not there, and neither was anyone else listening. But the, I think the starting point for the conversation might have been, I think, were we talking about interracial dating as the, the starting point of the conversation? Or I don't remember. But at the time, you were with a, a white partner, right? Yes. Okay. And so I think that what you told me is that you've also historically mostly dated white men. Is that right? Mm, no? That might be presumption. That okay. Might, that might be what you thought of me. Oh, ooh, okay. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's it's complicated I, I well i don't know that it's necessarily i've dated mostly i mean if we were to put I, I mean i think that it's somewhat fair but it's also about for me as it pertains to dating and race it's about i i guess what's available geographically or where i mm. where i may be location wise right okay, okay. um <clears throat> you know i uh I, I'm born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Um, and so Texas, San Antonio is, you know, a majority minority city. There's a large, you know, um, uh, Latinx, specifically Mexican population. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. But it's also a military city, you know, a military hub. We have um, uh, Lackland Air Force Base, which is where the military, Air Force boot camp. We have a lot of the, the hub for all medical um, and so it's a very diverse city. Like, I really do feel that I grew up in diverse in that way, but um, had developed an attraction to Latinx people or whatnot. And then I went, I was in the Navy and I was in Hawaii. And Hawaii, another is a majority minority place. It's Asian, Asian Pacific Islander, okay. um, Hawaiian, True. native Hawaiian, um, and a lot of, as they say, Hapa, but a lot of mixed race, um, you know, people. Mm -hmm. And so then I have that history, but then I was also at that time I was in the military, and in that time I was dating black people. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then now here I am in in uh, Portland, Oregon, and it is seventy seven percent white, you know, five percent black, and mm. um, you know the pool from which I can date from uh, is going to be majority white. Okay, that's but, what it was. Because um, I met right, you at so. the time that I met you, you were living in Portland. That's correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, though, because I even, I think also my friends think that I, you know, intentionally date white or go for white or, you know, that's my M.O. And um, it's never been, I guess, a conscious choice or thing. Rather, it's been partial, uh, uh, you know, partially location. And maybe there is some subconscious behind it, too, as well. But um it's also just what's been available, I would say, too, as well. So what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing though, is that LB is an opportunist. That's that's my takeaway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just get it how exactly. you can get it. I'm not mad. <laughs> so, I it's it's interesting, and I'm I'm putting a pin in this because I want to come back to this point later. But you said something about it not really being intentional. You who who you choose to date is more or less dependent on where you are and who is available is what I'm hearing from you, right? Yes. You, yeah. you, you don't have any type of just sort of preference going into it. Like I prefer dating people of color. Or I prefer dating non-POCs or whatever. 
Um, and let me let me back up and ask, how do you identify sort of like racially under with the understanding, of course, that race is a social construct? It's not a real thing. OK, let's just throw that out there. <laughs> but how do you identify? Racially identify or, yeah. or yes. OK. Um, racially identifies black, yeah. you know, uh, racial ethnic ethnic. Um, my racial and ethnic identity, I guess, would be Black American, yeah. African American. Yeah. Um, me personally, I just I choose to identify as Black. Um, um, yeah, Black American. Yeah. Texan too, as well. <laughs> which is not a color, but you know, I'm definitely informed. <laughs> definitely informed by my Texas, by by certain, you know. Being raised in the South in that way. Yeah, you definitely give off that big Texas energy. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I I want to I want to come back to that because we're going to talk about that more lately uh, later. But um, Katrina, what you know? What about you? You you identify as black? Absolutely, blackity black black. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, and your I mean, how like your dating history? Like, have you dated people mostly people of color? Are you like LB where? It just kind of depends on where you are. Yeah. Or... You know, when I was younger and I first started dating, um, I grew up in Virginia in a very white place, sort of like Seattle and Portland as well. And so <clears throat> not being as, for lack of a better word, you know, woke and really understanding, you know, America and how black people have been treated by white people. You know, I dated a lot of white women uh, until early, mid-20s. And then I was like, okay, I started working on myself and, and seeing that some of my blocks of actually dating within my race came from, you know, having family and or people around me when I was younger kind of go in on me in ways that, like, weren't cool. And so it it pushed me away from being with black women. And then finally I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Let me go out here and, and try this out. You know, like, why not? What the heck? Like these women are me and I am them, you know, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was maybe 10, 11 years ago. And when I started dating black women, that was it. Like I, (laughs) that was it. You know, the black of the berry, the sweeter juice, I'm telling you y'all. And I didn't go back. I didn't. And yeah. and honestly, one of the things that triggered me um, to go and, you know, try to date black women was I was with this white woman and something happened. I was living in Chicago and something racist happened. And I came, you know, to her place and I was like, yo, this thing happened. Can you believe it? What the heck? And she was like, are you sure you're not like overemphasizing that? Was that actually racist? And I was like, Okay, yeah. this is this is how we doing this, and that's when I knew I was like I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I literally yeah. don't want to do this anymore. And so I, you know, I've been dating black women since, and I definitely understand being in, you know, Seattle or Portland. You know, Seattle's eighty percent white, and black population here is maybe six percent. You take half of that, let's say, um, I don't know the exact statistics, is women, and then the other, you know, maybe one percent of that is queer. So it's it's a really small population to date from. Uh, but if I'm being real, I would almost rather be alone than date white women at this point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, damn. That's fair. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, my my history is <clears throat> all over the map. I oh, let's see. I've dated. I've dated. Mm, hmm. Dated a lot of white women. I was married to a white woman for um, whatever ten years or however long that was, and you know the mother of my child. Mm-hmm. And that was. I mean, she's. She is. She. We grew up together, and she's done a lot of her own work. Yeah. You know, so I never, I always felt like, you know, she had my back and I didn't have to deal with like, you know, the white tears from her. And, you know, she was definitely willing to put herself in vulnerable positions, you know, like with my family and, you know, that, that was, yeah, she, she was a special kind of person. She is a special kind of person. Um, they are out there. They are out there. The problem is filtering through all of the Beckys and the Karens. It's exhausting. To get to the ex-wifeys of the world, you know? Yeah. And, and and it is exhausting. And, you know, and, and I've said it several times on the show that I feel really exhausted already just from dealing with the supremacy, just very, like, psychically tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't had... I haven't felt like I've had an extra bandwidth for BS. Uh, <laughs> and the supremacy is, know that. is BS. And I, you know, and I've recently put myself on the back on the dating apps. Mm-hmm. And the messages I'm getting, like the, the first, like first messages. Oh, how big's your dick? Oh. Like first message <laughs> before hello. <laughs> wow. Or my name is. I'm like, okay. So actually what I did was I took a picture and then I blocked them to be like, yeah, this is what you're not ever going to fucking get. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> but yeah. it's it's just. That's it's, nasty. It's I nasty. Think you can now. Yeah. Say la la, cause so okay. Can I can I, can I say la la? <laughs> can I say la la now? La la. Yeah. So that is oh gosh, there's there's so many points that I want to that I feel like you want to hit. Yeah, la la broke out but, the notepad. Um, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what just happened to you, Eli? That was my whole existence and experience. So mm. actually, part of the reason you know um, that brought me to. I was not checking for Oregon, not looking for this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiki, like I said, my bestie, uh, when they they started grad school in Seattle. And so um, I drove uh, with her halfway. I met her here in Portland. We drove up, or sorry, San Francisco. Um, but um, my experience on the dating apps, on the hookup apps or whatever, living in Hawaii, I had lived in Hawaii for almost nine years or for ten, almost 10 years. Um, it was... I was, though it's a majority minority place, right? I was heavily fetishized, mm. tokenized. Yeah. And, and, you know, fetishized, tokenized, sexualized, hypersexualized. Right. Because I was black. And, you know, it wasn't from a place of, you know, racism or, you know, superiority in that type of way or with that power mindset. But it was that, you know, they had never had that experience. They had not come into contact with, you know, black people, and then they hear, and then you add in the stereotypes of black right, men. Right. So my yeah. experience on those apps were definitely, I give it three questions that they're going to be. It would be one, it'll be uh, how hung, mm-hmm. yep. question mark, yeah. mm-hmm. B- BBC, yeah. big black cock, yeah. question mark, yep. or um, 
some reference to my skin or I've never been with a black person before or <sighs> or you, you know, have such you know, beautiful just, skin. Yeah, I get yeah, that one too. Yeah. It's something about it's about them crossing you off of their checklist, you know, yeah. their bucket mm, list, if yeah. you will. And so, you know, I had a I, you know, it does something to your self-esteem and to where you are at, like, because I had never, I was not being desired for all, you know, the other things that I would love to be desired for, right. you know, uh, my humor, my education, my, you know, my ability to host in, in, a, in, in a, a high cost of living city to have my old place and not have to do stuff <laughs> in the backseat of a car, you know, but you, like, right. you know, but it's, it's that. And, and so I'm like, oh, wow. And then I come here to Portland where progressive is in vogue, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a cool thing to be more progressive. Mm. Um, but actually, I didn't have any of those experiences on the apps. You know, their hashtag, all, all you know, races are all sizes matter or, or body sizes matter or, yeah. you know, um, that we were having, I found myself having conversation um, uh, beyond and, you know, those three questions that it never came up, which is great, um, you know, and, it, it it felt great. Um, and then that leads me to thinking about the work that white people do or have to do and are that the work that it is um, to date. And I don't mean working like uh, a laborious labor intensive type of way, but the work of, you know, anti-racism work, yes. um, you know, anti-oppression work. There is work that white people have to do in order or should be doing in order to be in relationship with you know, uh, uh, a BIPOC person. And we are um, going to talk about that work later. So, so there's that, that work of it is really, you know, it's, it it can be a turnoff or it's a, it's also a determining factor, um, when it comes to things. And then lastly, I will also say though, another point that I wanted to make, um, well, first I'll make the joke and that I say, I'm trying to do like Baskin Robbins. I just want to have, try all 31 flavors. <laughs> you know, it's no preference. I just want to try it all. That's it. And we're good. Um, I've had uh, more than 31 yeah. flavors with just black women, but I hear you. <laughs> okay. God, I'm, now I'm really curious <laughs> no, about the flavors. I can, I can see that. You know, well, Dutch chocolate. You know, uh, uh, you got Dutch chocolate, maybe some German chocolate. You got the, uh, black cherry. Fudge. Black cherry. Okay. Yes. Y'all got to stop because okay. I don't All know right. if I'm hungry or horny at right. this point, but I, I cannot focus on the rest of this conversation if we keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, um, yeah. I, w- I would love to talk about, though, um, at some point, maybe go back to when we're thinking about the autonomy and choosing or dating and mm-hmm. like preferences. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot <clears throat> surrounding that when we're thinking about. Um, where we come from and location or, you know, um, I think there's a lot that to discuss, you know, when it comes to dating. Because I think that when we think about dating, it is this autonomous thing that we choose for ourselves. However, I think there are also other factors that kind of, you know, uh, pressure or apply pressure or, you know, um, um, get in the way of what our, our preferences may be or not be. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. So let this, this might be a good point to, to pause and just talk about intersectionality, because yeah. as I said at the outset today, we're talking about love and all the things, right? So what I mean by that is we're not today just talking about race 
we're not just talking about like gender. We're not just talking about dating or feminism. We're talking about the points at which these different systems of oppression meet and overlap and inform each other, right? And so intersectionality is base, is a concept that's often used in critical theories to describe ways in which oppressive institutions, so that would be racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, classism, xenophobia, et cetera, are connected and shouldn't be examined separately. And just as a side note, this has been my problem with sort of that, that first and second wave feminism, right? Because it really was just looking at white women's struggles. Like, well, black women have been in the workplace and have had to be in the workplace for generations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your, your, your version of feminism is looking at it as though, oh, women are just now entering the workforce. No, our mothers and grandmothers and aunties have been working in your homes and in your factories and in all these places for decades. And, and I just, I didn't have a lot of respect for any theory that didn't account for the experiences of women of color. So Yeah, I, and I, those waves of feminism were so interesting, you know, because a lot of the, the white women were also like, well, you know, it's hard enough trying to get, you know, white women to get all of these rights that we need. You know, we, we have to put you black women on the back burner for a bit. And it's like, we've right. been on the back burner. Right. Let us get to a position and then we're going to make it so that you can... You can also right. come right. along. We'll bring you along. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> but then, <laughs> then come, then here comes along Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a uh, black woman legal scholar. And she came up with this concept really first of intersectionality. Um, and that changed the, the conversation in a lot of these feminist circles mm-hmm. and really led for that that next wave of feminism to be uh, to have a broader focus and include you know the trans sisters and to include the the women of the women of color as sisters and and look at how the same people that are oppressing black people are also some of the same people in systems that are oppressing you know, white women and women of color and, you know, our queer brothers and sisters. You can't, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the, the, the ability to look at all of these systems together is what is actually going to allow the systems to change. But if you are allowed to look at them as separate silos and deal with them as separate silos, you're never going to get that critical mass necessary to actually push for the change. Think about, think about when MLK was murdered. He was murdered at the point where he was trying to reach across the aisle mm-hmm. to, to poor white people that is when that man became a threat because at that point it wasn't just the negroes that he was he was stirring up Mm -hmm. and that's when he had to go right that the the intersection is where the power is that's where you're going Mm -hmm. to have the critical mass so that's a little a little background into uh into intersectionality and, and critical theories yeah 
Yeah. Now we're all on the same page. Okay. So moving on <laughs> from that, deciding whether to date off-brand, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is it's a very personal decision, and whatever mm-hmm. that decision is, it's okay, right? I mean, you you get to love who you want to love and be attracted to who you want to be attracted to. That that is the bottom line for sure. However. While race is a social construct and it's not a real biological thing, it still informs the systems that we live and work within. So to think that somehow the romantic sphere would be exempt from the outside societal pressures, that's not real, y'all. That's not real. We take these issues from the streets into the bedroom with us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And how do we how how do we make the decision, you know, who who to have in the bedroom with us when we come home from the street? So, yeah, what are what are your, what are your thoughts for me from you two before I chime in with mine? Because I have thoughts. Yeah, let's hear from you. <laughs> let, us, okay. let us know what's good with you. Yeah, I'll be. So deciding whether to date interracially, I agree that it is a very personal choice. However, I will say that there are other influences. Are there other things that influence that decision? Um, And I don't necessarily think that there are things, you know, I think things can be a good influence or a bad influence, but something that comes to mind, I think that there's a lot of, there's shame, shaming, there's stigma. there's, uh, I think, a lot of fear um, around, you know, maybe disappointing your family members or, you know, somebody um, and being a disappointment or even feeling disowned, you know. Um, I think that within, speaking obviously from a Black perspective, right, you know, uh, just the ways in which we are conditioned and socialized, you know, to be pro-Black and be about Black, and that not being that is um, is going to make you a disappointment. I'm thinking like something, a phrase like if, you know, she can't use your comb, don't bring her home, or, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one whatever, before. <laughs> like, whatever conditioning, like, just certain things. Um, and or like maybe and it could be internalized you know uh shame or you know around being a person of color and then not dating your race it's as you know i think you know i think you're called oh you're too good for us or you you know you think you're better than this you know uh bougie or or whatever it may be there's there is a, a way there's another uh stigma being you know, called, um, you know, opportunistic or like, you know, looking for the up and up. I think that when we're looking at thinking about, I think that there are some actual uh, implications and, you know, um, other reasons maybe that people date uh, interracially. I think that even, or I've seen it in um, Asian Pacific uh, cultures, um, you know, white going white is right it's like colonialism it's it's it it gives Mm -hmm. them status and so um and in some people you know to to date 
your race, or and if it and it if you and if it's a debate within your race and within your culture, within your ethnicity, that may mean depending on where you come from that you're going that you are choosing to you know have less, especially when you are already if your culture or ethnicity is a marginalized you know uh, an oppressed culture or race. So I say all that to just you know to just be like it's not just like oh I'm going to date you know I think that the dating within your race could be fine and everything is great and you have every opportunity for you and it could lessen your opportunities too as well. And so I, I, I think that um, um, I'm not saying by any means to factor in that stuff. I think that it's sad that you have to factor it, but I do think that I myself um, have felt those pressures when I'm thinking about dating inter- interracially or I've, it's, it's, it's been, you know, I've had to hold these two truths. It's like, I love black. I'm attracted to black and yada, yada, yada. But because I live in a place where black is not necessarily available to me and I end up with this person. Now my people, my black people are telling me, you know, uh, you too good for us or this or that. And they're not understanding, well, was that even an option for me? Right. Or when we're thinking of going back to this intersectionality, right? Like, you know, and I'm not speaking in a monolith that all black people are this way, but there is a lot of uh, homophobia. There's a lot of, you know, um, uh, hyper-masculinity, you know, when we think about Black men and what they're supposed to be and not be, and, you know, policing of of, of femme behaviors and a lip wrist and all of that. And so it's like, yes, here I am, gay man, and want to date and like to and attracted to Black men. However, I've also experienced a lot of harm from Black men because of that hyper-masculinity and that. And so that may be uh, can, will deter me away from that or, you know, mm-hmm. or keep me away from the very thing that I do like. So is that kind it's of similar, so complicated. Is that kind of similar to what you were talking about earlier, Dr. Katrina? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Having family and people around you go in on you and it's like, okay, well, that's actually pushing me away from the thing that that you actually want to see, mm, yeah. you know, and that I want. Okay. And the, the right. homophobia part, man, I, I hear you with that. That's that is part as you were talking, LB, it started clicking in my head that that was another part of the reason why outside of implicit bias. Right. Like this this bias that I had growing up looking at the media and seeing white women, especially white blonde women, and thinking that that was the epitome, that that's what I should look like and that's what I should date. And then being around all of these white women, having black girls at school not be very nice to me and or super homophobic. So knowing that I couldn't really go down that route and having all of that stuff swirling and then also having family come down on you, you know, and then not really, you know, I think we talked earlier about choice with dating, but when I think about my early dating, I actually don't think it felt like much of a choice. Like it was default. I had to date white women for all of those things I just explained. Mm. And then Mm. when I got to the point where I was older, where I could like peel back the layers, I was like, wait a minute, like this actually doesn't feel right. And it never really has. And there's all these layers of oppression and racism that I now have to deal with dating white women that I don't with black women. And right. and so to me, now that I'm older and like super blackity black, it is not an option for me now right. to mm-hmm. date white women. Okay. Like I see our black queens. I am connected with them. I am them. And it doesn't feel right being with white women now. You know, other other women along the spectrum, absolutely, I'm totally open 
you know, and I say all this, but I also, you know, want to want to be clear that we're all one human race. We really are. We all came from Mother Africa. And I know some people either don't know that or don't like to think about that. But if you look back through the history, through anthropological history, they have found that the mitochondrial DNA that we are connected to, like we all came from the same mom, really. Mitochondrial Eve is what they call her. I thought her name was Lucy. Well, mitochondrial Eve. Oh, okay. That, that, that's... I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. The, as Eve, in the like first... Adam and Eve, all yes. that. Okay. We're not yeah. going to even go into that because yeah. I'm African spirituality <laughs> and you. we are not going to talk. No, but I hear you. Thank yes. you. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. Um, but yeah, we all come from the same mama. So like we're all, we're, we're all people. We're all humans. The only issue is, is that contemporarily the white people that we see have been stuck in this oppressive way of tormenting and ostracizing and treating us in a certain way. And it is not necessarily the skin color that's the problem. It is the treatment that comes from them identifying with that skin color. And, and that's the part that, that I really can't do and, and, and won't do anymore. I don't have it in me, not at 40. Right. So (laughs) it's, it's it's more, it's more about the, the system and the whiteness associated with that system versus the individual white woman. Right. Cause there's yeah. plenty of like yeah. decent white women out exactly. there. You know, I'm not right. saying they're terrible. Of course not. Right. You know, they're, they're people and they're wonderful and, and not wonderful, just like all the right. other people out there. But right. it's, it is the system and I do like chocolate skin. You know, you like to see yourself <laughs> reflected. So I'm not going to lie about that. There's that too. All right. So, so we, it, it sounds like we've identified, you know, several different, um, factors in deciding whether to date interracially. Um, and these are pros and cons in terms of factors. We have family, we have fear, we have loss of community, um, we have the likelihood of being alone, given where you are geographically. You know, what what is the dating pool you have available? Acceptance. Yeah, acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, we have just, of course, our like childhood and family of origin experiences that are dictating who and what we feel comfortable with and attracted to or our socialization, right? Mm -hmm. Our socialization. And then, and then if I'm understanding both of you correctly, there's also that added component of, um, and I, I, I know I feel this way, but I, I think I've heard you two, or definitely Dr. Katrina give another version of this is like what you have the capacity to deal with at a given moment. And what I heard Dr. Katrina say is that she doesn't really have the capacity to deal with the potential microaggressions. um, Like the one that she got from her previous partner with like, are you sure? Like maybe you're putting too much think on that. Like calm down. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Did, Did I, get that right mm-hmm. for you yeah for sure to to add to that i'm not curious to ask you know um i'm curious to know what got you or what changed what changed and got you to that point where you're fed up for lack of better words and no longer willing to put up with that my guess is that you know it's a radical act of self-love right mm-hmm. it is to mm-hmm. to really like all the things that I said, the shame, the stigma, the family, da da da, that all comes from fear. But then once you get into a place where you revere, you know, your race or your your background, and you learn to love, 
that and love that part of yourself and love yourself for it, well, you know, it's nothing but love. And then that allows you to not put up with, you know, the bullshit that is, you know, dating uh, a, a white person, you know? Absolutely. Um, but what do you think? What, what, or what did shift for you um, that allowed you to yeah. have more appreciation for black? I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It is the evolution of self-love, really figuring out who I was and what I wanted and, you know, more study. Cause at this time I was in grad school, um, studying psychology and, and really getting more into blackness and history and all the things. And, and, you know, the more we know about our history as black people, the more we can appreciate how amazing we are and what we've come from. And that can help when it comes to self-love, because we just learn early on, especially as black queer individuals, you learn early on that you're not OK. You're not OK in church. You're going to hell. You're, you're this and you're that. Yeah. And when you spend a lifetime hearing that stuff from the like larger world and your family, you know, it is really hard to find that place to love yourself in that way. But once I started, you know, I was more autonomous, you know, I was away from my family, you know, I'm, I'm in grad school, I'm adulting, you know, doing all of those things and figuring out who I was my, and, and stepping into my identity was, was what helped me move forward in, you know, really like opening my eyes to what I had been living and the patterns that I had been stuck in and actually really recognizing, actually, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like dating in this way. I don't, I don't like feeling like I have to defend myself to my partner, someone who actually doesn't know my experience and could never know because she's a white Republican from Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Ooh. And I, I like didn't even know she was Republican. Okay, I'm, I'm I was like, like the Republican part is the thing that I found most offensive about that entire <laughs> sentence. Oh lord, she tried to act liberal. She tricked me. Oh, but but man. yeah, and I'm like, you can't possibly know my experience. So then that that's not allowing for her to be accountable in some way for her to understand my experience. Like, and I was like, how dare you? I'm not doing this no more. And that wasn't the first time. I had experienced that with white women, but that was the last time that I was going to deal with it. Were the other ones mm. also Republican? No. <laughs> okay. Definitely not. She shocked me with that one. I was like, where are you from? Your parents are what? It was a lot. Anyways. Uh, I'm just imagining Dr. Katrina out here cruising at the Republican National Convention <laughs> in like a like a skirt suit and some pearls. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, so silly. I'm sorry. But... <laughs> I I am in a space right now where I like I mentioned my bandwidth is just is limited. But I have de facto found myself in a relationship with two white people. <laughs> Not one but two. Mm -hmm. Because um the girl bruv, he's white. I mean, yes, there's there's not a we're not in a like a triad or a thruple, but he is my partner just as much as she is. I mean, we're making life plans together I, yeah. and, and taking trips together. If, if that's not a partner, then I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. um, so he's white. And then I just very recently started dating this couple um, and one of the partners is white. So I, you know, here I am. 
<laughs> well, one one relationship is a lowercase r, right? The the couple that I just started, and I'm saying dating very loosely, y'all. I mean, this is yeah. It's it's somewhere in between a jump off and a friend with benefits. I don't know. It's like a gray area. But the point is, <laughs> okay. is that is that <laughs> that the 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 woman is white, and you know. Would I have chosen her as an individual? No, probably not. <laughs> but in the context of this couple where one of the other partners is black, then yes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also my understanding of this relationship with this couple is that it's going to be pretty casual. So I don't feel like it's a high stakes game. Now with Bruv, this is definitely high stakes because I'm looking at merging my life with this person mm -hmm. and you know what does that mean walking through life in like a serious relationship with a white man i don't know but i do know that if it's going to be anyone i'm happy it's him because he has done a lot of the work and he knows how to show up and not show up in spaces mm -hmm. and i would not be like fucking with this situation if it were anything but that. Um, but again, you know, so I feel like like Bruv and ex-wifey are in that same category whereby they have been in relationship and in close proximity with black people and black families for decades and also have done the work that they need to do separately to be okay being in in this type of relationship. Not mm -hmm. to say that everything's perfect and, and you know that there aren't misunderstandings and there aren't um bridges that need to be crossed, but they've shown that because of the work that they are willing to put in that they are they're willing that they are worth me also taking up some of my bandwidth to give to to them mm -hmm. and doing that relational work LB that you were talking about before. So now that that's a good point for us to pivot to how do you as a person of color communicate with your non POC partner when you're having these issues with race, with masculinity, with, with the supremacy, you know, how do you walk through the world with, you know, with the armor that we as POCs walk through the wor world with? Cause I will tell you, I have never, ever, ever, talk to a single person of color in this country that does not get up in the morning and put on a suit of armor before they leave the house. I have not spoken to one. And that is because we need to arm ourselves for all the microaggressions and major aggressions that happen from the minute we leave that house to the minute we come back and sometimes even then. Let's talk no-knock warrants. Let's talk, you know, stop and frisk. Let's talk all the ways that our bodies and our integrity and our psychic energy is assaulted daily. Mm -hmm. And then what does that mean when we come home to a person who looks like the people that we armed ourselves for all day? Yeah. And yeah. how do we come home, take that armor off? and be able to communicate to this person in a way that we can be, you know, seen and heard what happened to us today. 
Because if, again, if, if, if the goal in relationships, and you know, if your goal is not to be intimate with your partner, then I guess, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, first of all. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to assume that the goal is to be intimate with your partner. And if you can't be intimate with, with your partner and tell them the struggles that you've had throughout the day, then how intimate are you being? So how do we do that, y'all? How, how do we wear the armor and take it off and, you know, just not even sometimes be triggered by this person's presence? Yeah, I'm going to let y'all take so, that because I don't even <laughs> know it's been over a decade. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, <right>. fair enough. <laughs> LB? So, I yeah, I will attempt to answer, but I do want to give something concrete to the first question about deciding whether to date interracially. Yeah. And I do think that for that, the concrete things is that it does require self-exploration, um, internal exploration, um, internal investigation, right? You mm -hmm. need to, to determine... Um, what your capacity is and what your threshold is. Amen. You really have to put some thought and time into that. Right. To think about what am I going to put up with and what am I not going to pull out? You really need to suss out and identify your your personal values, what is important to you um, in relationship and then being in relationship and and then and then making sure or addressing um, that or determining if that, whatever your personal values are, can or will race get in the way of that you know mm -hmm. and so mm, that's a good one that's that it that's the work that we have to do right, right? black it, bipoc individuals we need to really figure out what we're going what we're willing to put up with and what we what we what we want to put up with or mm -hmm. what we actually want in that partner um because then that leads to when you get this non-poc partner um, in a sense, not that you manifested it, but it, you've at least put thought into what you want, you know, right. qualities that you want from this partner, because, and, and it will allow you to, um, it gives you control and autonomy, but then it also allows you to even have more empathy and give more grace and compassion for that partner. Um, mm. but also it requires good leading to communication. It requires you know, you have to put thought to what you want so that you can then communicate it to the other because right. mm -hmm. people, we cannot be mind readers. Right. And so um, I will say that it's not, it's, it's not easy. I don't even know that I'm the best, you know, I'll use a personal, you know, story um, with my ex. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call them. Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm like trying to. I I I would well, say let let's just call him the picture man. Picture, picture man. man, photographer. Picture man. Are we? Or okay. Unless we're talking about a different ex. I don't. I don't know all. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, uh, or you could think of a different name. We'll say we we let's say uh, DJ K. Okay, I like DJ it. K. I like it. So, you know. um with with DJK, um, you know, open minded, willing to do the work, you know, all the things, and you know, um, at one point he had he had told me, and it, and what he said I've heard many times, but basically he had told me that um, uh, my words I don't that he he does not feel that I am aware of the harshness of my words. Mm -hmm. You know, and how that, it, you know, how it lands and, you know, basically uh, me speak, my opinion 
it's white fragility, right? It's 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 the it's it is white supremacy. It's their entitlement to comfort, you mm-hmm. know, and if you will. But mind you, we're in we're in my and well, I'm in my house. I'm in my space. You know, the last place the last place that I need to use a filter or or think about my words. Mm, and right, right. personally, I feel well. That's a personal issue. You know, my words, like you can't, who said my words are harsh? You may receive them as harsh, but if they are, right. then that, then let me know. So I'm like, I'm all for, you know, being mindful of my words because I don't want to be mean to you or make you feel some negative way. Mm-hmm. But please do know that that was not my intention. So what I need from you is to give me the benefit of the doubt and to let me know. Right. Let me know. I don't think that I said my words sound harsh. So when I, when that happens, let me know, hey, I received that. Now, mind you, that requires that person to honor their, to acknowledge their feelings and to, discuss, to, 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 to be vulnerable to share it. Hey, when you said this, I felt this. It hurt me. Mm-hmm. But if we like to save, we like to save ourselves. We like to, we like to save face. We don't like to really, you know, discuss like, or let, let, give somebody the power, quote unquote, uh, to let them know that they 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 had an effect on us. And so I would say that, first of all, that has to go, right? You got to be able to communicate your hurt. And you got to, and that's, and vulnerability, you know, is what leads to that deeper connection and to that trust. Mm-hmm. You know, when I can trust that, when I, when I feel that when I'm hurt by you, I can trust that you will do better, you know? So it, yeah. it resulted in a place where, um, you know, like, it's like, well, you felt that way. And I didn't do that intentionally. I didn't, I was not trying to, you know, be mean or this or that. And if all you had to do was just like, Hey, when you said, I said, or if you don't want to talk about your feelings and name your feelings, maybe just ask, what did you mean when you said that? Or what mm-hmm. was, how, what was the emotion when you, what were you feeling when you said that? And let me clarify. So it really is about vulnerability on both ends when you're talk when you're going into that communication, um, and and I, I don't know, just having the ability to to um, to trust, you know, to really to really trust and and allow giving people the opportunity to show up for you in the way that you have decided you want you want people to show up for you. Which going back to that self-exploration. So that that makes me wonder, LB, then how did you deal with that white fragility coming up? And same question for you as well, Eli. I'm I'm curious because, you know, I've I've hit my limit. So I don't even like at least romantically, I, I don't even yeah. deal with that in the same way in my work. You know, I, I deal with it and it's cool. It's fine. But I'm, I'm curious about how you all you all handle that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, in that situation, you know. It came back later because the the issue at hand kept on rearing its head where, you know, he was not able to acknowledge, like, let me know when I've hurt him. And so I'm walking around thinking I'm all good because I know I'm not actively trying to da da da. But um, I actually read this book uh, and then I, I, may, I strongly uh, suggested that he read it too called Black Fatigue. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and um, but yeah, talked about like you know it 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 is it, even him saying that was a trigger for me and that you know um, I've been called intimidating for whatever reasons right. and you know um, 
intimidation is different for me, right, as a black man versus maybe a black woman. But like, you know, I'm intimidating. I'm I I often feel darn if I do, darn if I don't. Like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. educated. You know, uh, you know, having having a master's degree, and um, so you know. For black people, I end up, oh, you're too good for us, you're too this or whatever, you're bougie, da da da. I've since elementary school or whatever, you why you you sound white, you talk yep. white, you know. And so, um, and then here I am. So being told from the blacks that I'm talking white, da 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 da. And then to be told from the white that you harsh and you you're scaring me, <laughs> and then all this language. Right. This person did not use that language, but that's essentially where it's coming from. Yeah. This fear. Right. It's the 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 stereotype of black man and this aggression. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I, there it was coming from I'm me having to police my tone to appease others. Yeah. Right. And yeah, through always. that book, through that book, then he realized, you know, and he apologized. I'm sorry that, you know, I said that that was mean and unkind to say. And he did realize it was a him issue, um, which is going to lead me to another a question we'll tackle later. But what the work that white people have, it does require humility. Right. It requires right. it require uh, um, in that situation. He has the humility to be able to say and he did apologize and take the accountability. But then, you know, I get called it all the time from other people and I may not get that resolve. You know, I don't always get that resolve. And um, I also am very big on not wasting my breath, <laughs> saving my breath for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I'm just not going to engage. I'm actually not going to have a conversation with everybody or every right person. I know we're talking specifically partner, you know, person mm-hmm. you are in relationship with. Um, and frankly, I'm not going to find myself in a relationship with someone who does not have the ability to hold these things. Right. Um, yeah. I think that I even enter uh, interracial relationships knowing what is that? Like, hey, it is hard. It is work. You're dating a black person. And what I'm not going to do off that, I'm not going to, uh, like, we're, we're, I'm not going to argue about, you know, these things or this thing. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm very clear up front. I, I preface it. And it's like, are you on board for that? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, um, it's a conversation that is had. I'm not going into it just, you know, all willy nilly. Um, I know it's work to date me because I'm black and because of a million other reasons. So is this really what you want? (laughs) (laughs) I can identify with a lot of what you were saying there. I've definitely had partners, you know, give me feedback. Oh, I'm being too loud or, or that their friends wish I smiled more or that I, I was aggressive and I'm like, okay, well, I am, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm the the most chill person that you will ever meet, but I'm certainly not anyone's like aggressor, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's hard to take in a relationship because in those moments I don't feel like I am being seen for me, and it's it's like this rude awakening that like oh this person's friends just see me as this like 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 black man you know like Florida man just like you know, this, this monolith, like not, I'm, I'm not an individual. Like even, even if like my partner is solid in the work that they're doing, then I'm still subject to their wider communities. 
I'm still subject to their friends. I'm still subject to their families. I'm still subject to, you know, like going to their workplace office parties and having it be funky. You know, so um, you, you're asking me, Dr. Katrina, how I've dealt with the white fragility. And the answer is not well. I haven't dealt with it well. I, in my, in my marriage to ex-wifey, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of those stupid little microaggressions that came up from her friends and family. And I just, I just let it go. I just let it go as the mm -hmm. cost of admission, as, as the cost that, that was the price of being with her was to put up with that. Mm -hmm. That is how I dealt with it at the time. At this yeah. point, I would say that the, that my, that my partner, that my, my non-POC partner, I really haven't had any issues with him or his family. I think I, I got lucky. He does not seem to be particularly fragile. Um, but at this point, if I had to deal with white fragility, I just wouldn't. I would just, I would end the relationship. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I, mm, I don't mm -hmm. have the bandwidth for it. I don't. Heard. And I would not have picked Bruv for myself, but I have grown to love him during the course of my relationship with my POC partner, who was also his partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a situation that I find myself in and I'm, I'm more than okay with it. But am I, am I swiping right on anyone Caucasian right now? No, I'm not. The, the, I'm, I'm, the intentionality that I'm bringing into this process is I know, going to LB's point, I've looked at what I have going on, on, you know, on my plate emotionally and logistically, and I've made the determination that I do not have the bandwidth and the patience and the humility and the vulnerability that is needed to deal with and like having those teaching moments mm -hmm. with someone. I want to take my armor off at the end of the day, put it yeah. in the closet and not touch it again until the morning. I don't want to think about it. Heard. So that's the situation that I'm in right now. Does that mean that I absolutely will not date white people? No, it doesn't. It just means that I'm being very intentional, very selective. I need to know that that person has done their work before I let them in. Um, That's fair. And we were in a situation. It was actually, it was, and Kiki, LB, Kiki was here for this too. And it was such a wonderful moment because I didn't know that she was going to be there. She just arrived in the middle of this situation looking lovely as ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was me and the girl and bruv, and we were out at like a nightclub in Seattle for what we didn't realize was a black, what was a POC queer night. Mm -hmm. Okay. They really build it as this is a POC place. We really don't want a lot of white people coming and taking up a bunch of space. Right. But mm -hmm. the messaging wasn't clear. And so here the girl is bringing the bringing bruv into the club as like this, you know, six foot three, six foot four, like very visible white man. Mm -hmm. 
and and then an announcement is made Uh-oh. from the stage about the non-POC people in the space. And it was this very uncomfortable moment where mm-hmm. it's like, ooh, we brought, we brought the white boy. <laughs> like, well, not we, because I came there on my own. Yeah. She brought the white boy. But, you know, we, we were all in the group together. Mm-hmm. But just as an aside, LB, that, that, that night, Kiki, she came up and she was wearing, oh, my God, like something tight. Maybe had Care Bears. I don't know. <laughs> and... So Bruv and the girl were talking and Kiki came up in between, because I don't think at this point she knew who Bruv was, came up like facing the girl, put her leg like up, like Captain Morgan style, like <laughs> on a curb or something, then like slapped the inside of her thigh. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, <laughs> where is this going? But anyway, that's that's a tangent for another show, y'all. But... So what? How we ended up dealing with it that night is, the bruv took it on himself to just leave. He was just like, okay, okay. after after the announcement, he was like, okay, I see you. It, out of respect for for this space, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, see, that's why I fucks with you, because you right. you 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 understood the assignment. He was probably one of the few who under understood the assignment. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. For those, I think, for those who do have capacity and desire to, you know, deal with, you know, uh, non-black partners, white partners, um, I would say how to communicate them is with patience. Which, you know, Elon, I don't have. I mean, right we now. don't have. <laughs> I, I don't. I even don't always have. It, <laughs> no. You know, I think that even when I do choose to be in a relationship with a white person. And a conversation inevitably comes up, I may not always have the patience or speak mm-hmm. in the tone sure. um, that w- allows for receiving. And so, but for those who do have that, I would say, you know, um, be compassionate, come from a place of, you know, of, of kindness, vulnerability, you know, just kind of being honest and also being willing, listen, like to actually listen. Um, to or for, share your concern and then also listen or ask what their concern is or what their thoughts are. Are you saying you know, this you as You want to create the, a dialogue. Are you saying this as the POC partner or as the non-POC partner? As the POC, as, as okay. both, okay. as both. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, but I'm speaking actually from the, the, the POC. Um, you, it does require patience and vulnerability. And by vulnerability, I'm meaning you need stating, coming to them from a place of love and stating, I'm feeling this, or I felt this, and this is what it it brings up for me. But, and also being clear from jump that this is not a deal breaker, um, but it is something that needs to be worked on. And if it's not worked on, it will be the deal breaker, right? Um, but I think that coming, like, being vulnerable about how, you, about how, what you have felt but from what you acknowledging the microaggression, let's say, mm-hmm. stating what that microaggression was, the impact or the effect of that, and then if they are willing and they're engaged, to then be curious, ask them, what are you feeling, or what are your thoughts, or what um, what do you think about that? Give that person the uh, the opportunity, you know, to answer some of these questions so that they can be thinking about it too. 
So I've, I've heard you say this word a couple of times, and that is vulnerability. Do you have any thoughts on how do you stay vulnerable as a PLC partner coming home to a non-POC partner, you know, like I said, you know, maybe you've just had a, a full day of um, microaggressions. Maybe you just got pulled over by some, you know, jacked up uh, highway patrolman. You know, maybe mm. you just got, you know, verbally assaulted by a Karen in, in an Apple store. Or you another know, black person got killed and you saw it on the news. Right. And yeah, then you yeah. come home to this person who looks like the people who have been doing this to you all day. How do you have any thoughts on, you know, how do you stay vulnerable in light of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I will say that we, it's important to make a distinction in my usage of vulnerability um, because I think it, it does have multiple meanings. Um, I'm using vulnerability, you know, in the, from the work of Brene Brown. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, um, and so I'm using vulnerability in the way of expressing your being vulnerable, like, you know, sharing and expressing your feelings of, of hurt, of uh, actually any feelings. And, and actually doesn't even have to be negative feelings. It can be positive feelings to, um, it's almost like sticking your neck out because, you know, I, some people, what we think that, or like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, like, or so, so much good things happen. It's like, gosh, I'm not worthy of all this good. Something bad is bound to happen. So you feel reluctant to express your positive things because you don't want it, you know, the bad thing to happen, right? So uh, when I'm talking about vulnerability, it isn't about the expressing a feeling, sharing of one's feelings and emotions with another person um, in efforts to build trust and build a strengthened connection. I like okay? that definition. But then there's mm -hmm. vulnerability, I think that could be used in a social justice sense. Um, which is vulnerable individuals, which would be people who are vulnerable um, to despair or demise or whatever it be because they are oppressed and marginalized. Gotcha. Um, a, 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 um, a, a houseless person is vulnerable, um, you know, uh, or a, um, there's vulner vulnerability as it relates to danger of something. Right? And we're talking so, about the former vulnerability not this latter correct okay right. correct correct right. so um but to your question when i uh how to remain vulnerable um or i will say that you know just as we code switch there is a time and a, and a place to be vulnerable right um and um yes there there is a time and a place to be vulnerable and so i'm not saying you know be and uh you know an open book at all times, right? There's a time and a place for everything. And so I would say that, you know, to be mindful of that, to also be mindful of your capacity and what you're feeling at that time and what your needs are at that time. It really does go back to that self-exploration and that, that reflection that is required for you to know what you're feeling. It requires, you know, some form of the work is self-exploration, um, um, uh, maybe journaling. It's it, you just need to are uh, being mindful of your body and your of what you are feeling in certain things, you know. Um, and when we're talking about again, I keep saying in relationship. This is when you are in relationship. I'm not saying to be vulnerable with all people. It does work with friendships too as well, right? Because um, mm -hmm. these derisions still can happen between you know interracial uh, uh, friendships, yeah, not absolutely. just you know 
romantic relationships. But um, you want to, I would say you want to share, it's a, it's a fine line. You want to find that happy medium when you can share it when you are not your lowest capacity, but and 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 before before your capacity is depleted, and and um, uh, yeah, I guess just right before I I've never thought about this, so I'm like conceptualizing it as it is now. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that that happy point of uh, it's like you wanna you wanna uh, express in in uh, your vulnerability before you run out of gas <laughs> or before right. the gas light comes on. Right. Yeah. And that looks differently. That looks differently for everybody. That an- that anxiety point, you know, some people, uh, you know, fill up when the gas light comes on. Some people filling up at half a tank. Some people fill up, you know, whatever, whatever it is that works for you. That, that, that's what, that's the time that you need to, to do to, to share. And that's where um, that introspection and the mindfulness comes back to because you need to know what what your gas level is at any given moment, mm-hmm. right, in order to, mm-hmm. to know what kind of boundaries to draw around yourself based on that. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about deciding whether to date interracially, how to communicate issues with your, your non-POC partner, um, remaining vulnerable. Now, you know, to, to – wrap up the conversation i would like and we've we've touched on it at, at a few different points but i would like to come back to some points for the non-poc people listening who might be in relationships with poc partners you know how do you support your partner dealing with the supremacy yeah i mean I, I think I have some things to share now. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back, Dr. Katrina. Thank you. Thank you. Still hear you. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing is to really check yourself. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean in the most loving way, right? Like you as a non-POC person, one, just know that you can't quite understand our experience. You can't. And it's not your job to be able to, because really for us to truly understand, we have to experience. Right. And that is not something that non-POC people can do. Doesn't make you a bad person. Right. So check yourself. Oh, shoot. That really hurt me. Let me let me take a second and deal with whatever feelings are coming up. What am I feeling? Where is that coming from? Is this something that I need to put on my POC partner or is this something I I talk to a trusted friend about? Like really knowing what things to to bring up and how. And also, if your partner says, hey, you know, how about read this book? Try reading the book. I've had. A lot of couples in my practice who have, um, you know, been white and black in a relationship and the discussion about how some of the white partners don't want to read a book or won't take the opportunity to when given um, a book is really frustrating for a lot of POC people because, you know, we experience racism. We don't have to study it. And for non-POC people, for you to really understand, you have to study it. To some degree. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not willing to provide the space for your POC partner to be able to feel like, as LB was saying, they can be vulnerable in a way that they know that that space will be held for them and that you're listening and being accountable. And the other the the last thing that I will put in here and then, you know, I'll, I'll give it back to you all is like check your family. 
check your friends. You know, I know it's uncomfortable and I know confrontation doesn't feel good. But when you notice that someone, another white person in your life has said something or done something that you know is like really racist or or bordering that and you know they're not really like being super thoughtful and that implicit bias is coming out, you really need to check them because most white people who are having issues with racism are not going to listen to POC people about our experience. If that was the case, then we wouldn't have 400 years of racism. This is true. We wouldn't have yeah. had all the slavery. We wouldn't have ha- had us kidnapped and brought here. So if that was something that white people were, um, a lot of white people were thoughtful about, then they would have checked it by now. Yeah. So they're not. So you need to check your people so that we can walk around and feel okay and that we're not going to get microaggressed upon um, a ton. I know that's not going to go away completely and that we're not going to get shot, you know, by your cousin who's a police officer because oh, he saw me walking down the street in a hoodie. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I have to share. Yeah. So, yes, to all of that. I mean, I basically have the same stuff and it may sound like a, I may sound like a broken record, but everything of that. I think one, you have to keep an open mind. You know, you need to be open to hearing it because there's this defensiveness that white supremacy that comes with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's ego, there's, you know, that comes with that. And so keeping an open mind because we're literally you're you you need to train your brain to accept the you know, to hear something from uh, uh, a minority group, a marginalized group, an oppressed group, a group that is not given that platform. So you must have an open mind. Um, I think that uh, um, related to that defensiveness, you know, a phrase that we I, in social work, we say, you know, don't get defensive, get curious. Mm-hmm. Don't get defensive, get curious. So the, the, the natural inclination is to defend and to, you know, you know, but no, well, maybe ask why. Ask questions. Don't just go to your defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a really big important one, you know, related to that vulnerability, though, it's to acknowledge your privilege and then to leverage your privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times we like to separate. Oh, I'm not racist or I didn't do this or my family. I'm not the one that did the slavery, you know, da 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 da. but there's this active resistance to acknowledging that though you didn't do it, you still benefit from it. Right. Though you didn't do it, your family, someone did and no one and. No one, we know you ain't no slave driver today in these streets. We know that. <laughs> but stop acting like you ain't come from a line of slave drivers. Like right. that's annoying and it's irritating. So ag- acknowledge your privilege and then leverage that privilege. And to acknowledge it, it, it requires that ex- self-exploration, that self-interrogation to really acknowledge, to think about the ways in which you do benefit. You have to put thought to it. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know... um, because once you put thought to it, those are the true people that are anti-racist and doing the best. Like when they actually put thought, they're not offended by you saying it's not personalized for them because mm-hmm. they sat down and thought about the ways in which they live out white supremacy or they benefit from white supremacy. Right. Yep. Because once you address it, you no longer can be inflicted by it. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the work. And um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. So right. for me... I agree with everything you two said, and I would add these two points. One, it's not about you. I, I had a situation with a partner 
actually here in Washington before I lived here. And we were at this club in Port Townsend, I think. And the only black people, the only other black person in the entire place was this dude in the band. And he did not look, I mean, he had a good, I don't know, foot on me or whatever. And like a hundred pounds, like we were not, we didn't look at anything alike. And this white woman came up to me and was like, oh, are you in the band? Uh, <laughs> Which, I mean, listen, that was trash. But also, am I going to let that fuck up my whole night? No, I'm not. But the the white woman I was with may, like, took that and, like, spun out about it. And somehow mm. it became a slight against her. And I'm like, but okay. I... I, if anyone who should be upset here, it's it's me, and I'm saying, can we please move on? But she took it mm-hmm. as this opportunity for her her own histrionics and nonsense, and I'm just like, well, you know what? So even when I'm hurt, you get the comfort. So mm-hmm. don't make it about you. It's not about you, right? And then the other thing is, and you touched on this a little bit, LB, is that understand that what is the problem is the system, right? right? It is not individual white people. So it is not enough for you to say, oh, well, I'm colorblind and I don't see color. Ugh, because if that. that is the case, then you are missing an opportunity to show up and be supportive of your partner because that means that you if if you are thinking that as an individual you are colorblind and you don't see race then you are not understanding how the system this the the white supremacy is operating on your partner daily and then you are missing that opportunity to love and support and show up for that partner mm-hmm. so you know it's not about you and understand that it is the system and not the individuals right on yeah for sure. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is active harm. It is. It is. It's like yep. that the story that I told about my mother in the Apple store, you know, not only was the Karen that was yelling at her, you know, the problem, but everyone else, the security guard, the woman behind the counter, the people in line behind her, everybody that stood around and did nothing, you were just as bad as the Karen. Right? Yep. It's it's For that. Sure. It's that bit. So now that we've talked about all the things, I hope that y'all are out there dating and fucking whoever the hell you want to. Safely. Get it. <laughs> get it. Get it. Get it. Um, so and happy Valentine's Day, all. I mean, if, if you're listening to this episode real time, I think it's it's probably Valentine's Day or a few days after. So. Hopefully you you got you got all the lovings from whoever <laughs> on that day. Uh so and speaking of loving and safely, LB, I believe that there is a organization that you wanted to amplify for us today. Yes. Tell absolutely. us about it. Absolutely. So um I wanted to uh, amplify um, the organization called um, OHSU Partnership Project. Um, full disclosure, that is my employer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking um, to you during the workday, so I guess that's fair. <laughs> absolutely. It's totally fine. Um, but um, OHSU Partnership Project, um, we are a case management entity. We provide a comprehensive 
array of services um, and case management to persons who are living with HIV. Um, um, I feel uh, deeply connected and devoted to this work um, and to this community. Um, it is February, Black History Month, and February 7th was actually National Black Awareness, um, HIV Awareness Day um, and for testing and stuff. And, you know, HIV, though we are, have come very far with treatments and therapies and prevention, um, it still disproportionately affects uh, Black people, uh, specifically Black men who have mm -hmm. sex with men. Um, the statistic currently is that one in two Black men will become HIV positive over their lifetime, literally 50%. Oh, gosh. Um, one in two. And so, you know, it's completely preventable, um, you know, and, actually, and if you are affected, um, there is hope. You will have uh, a typical long life, you know, with the treatments and things that are available out there. Um, but Partnership Project, we are within a community of HIV services. Um, um, within, we serve five counties um, in here in Oregon um, um, and all of the health systems. We work with Cascade AIDS Projects, Cascade AIDS Project. Um, and this we fund, we do from housing to, um, you know, engagement, health engagement and, um, uh, uh, all types of resources, support, food, you know, um, my position, I'm, um, both in the field, going to campsites and people's homes and also in the clinic, um, which is at the hospital here, uh, one of the internal medicine clinics and, you know, this, your donation or whatever you choose, it will support the clients. It does not come to me. It does not go to anybody. It goes straight mm -hmm. to the foundation and we purchase, you know, gift cards and food cards or, you know, sleeping bags, socks, food, um, it will be put to good use for people who do not have these services otherwise. So right on. Yeah. And their website is www.ohsu.edu slash partnership dash project. And we will have the link in our show notes and on the website. Absolutely. And when you go to that website, uh, if you so choose to uh, donate on the website, there is another link for make a gift and you can, it takes you straight to the page there too as well. Excellent. All so right. in Portland, right? If you're in Portland and you need some services, go check out yes. um, OHSU. Say hi to LB. All right. Say hi to me. <laughs> yeah. And there's, and then, and to be clear, you don't even have to just go to OHSU. There's a lot of, we are, a very interconnected network. Um, you can go to any of the agencies, um, uh, you referral, you can self-refer, you can um, be referred by an agency, by a doctor, provider, um, whatever. But, and even if um, you don't, do not live in the five counties, I didn't even state them, so you don't know. <laughs> and I think I'll leave it like that. But if you happen to not be in the five counties that we serve, we will connect you with the service provider in your county too as well. Excellent. All right. Good deal. Yeah. Thank you, Lala, for taking the time to chat with us here today about love and all the things. For sure. And, you know, I, I hope that you out there and including you, Lala, continue to join us for our 
our Valentine's Day and Black History Month celebrations. Next week, we're going to be joined by another guest host, and we're going to be talking about kink and uh, in the ethically non-monogamous community. So we're, we're fitting to turn up in that yes. episode as well. Uh, <laughs> so I hope you, you all join us. Um, and in the meantime, keep on living and loving in color, y'all. Peace.